0: Bankless Nation, another state of the nation for you. The first one of the year, our first live stream of the year as well, our NFT securities. David, you have been obsessed with this topic for the last couple of weeks and wanted to do a show on it. Um, I was a little hesitant at first, maybe we'll get into a, a little bit why. Uh, but uh, what are we going to cover today? And what's the, what's the topic?
1: Yeah, I've been going down the securities law rabbit hole, which is actually a place where I started my crypto journey. A lot of people don't really know this, Ryan, but uh, my first foray into crypto was first with an ICO advisory company. And that company ground to a halt because we realized that everything we were doing was a security. Uh, And so the way I got through the 2018 bear market was working inside of the world of security tokens. And so going back down the security token rabbit hole has been extremely interesting. And I think that there are a ton of lessons that we as an industry need to learn about why do securities law exist? What is this word security? Why do we have the SEC? And why does our guest, Brian, think that all NFTs are securities? And also, why might that not be, that be such a bad thing? Uh, these are all fantastic questions.
0: Yeah, I'm actually super bullish on this episode because I think we we get to kind of the base principles of why securities laws exist in the first place. And that's really where we're going to start the conversation and build up So, David, um, why are you taking us down the securities rabbit hole today? All right. Because I'll tell you, I have some reservations about it, Mm -hmm. which is even just the word, the title of this episode, Our NFT Security. I find myself getting a little little triggered by that. Yeah, the, the, Uh, the
1: securities word is triggering for many, many people out there, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Why is that? And why why did you want to cover it with um, with our guest here today?
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I think the reason why the word securities triggers people is because it invokes uh, feelings of the SEC and Gary Gensler, and obviously it, it kind of should because that's what the SEC is. They that what is the SEC? It regulates securities. But securities, Ryan, were a thing before the SEC was. Uh, before we had the federal SEC, we had these things called blue sky laws, uh, which are state. State laws around securities, but the concept of a security exists outside of the SEC. And we often talk about speedrunning the history of money and finance on bank lists. Sometimes we expand that to speedrunning human coordination. And the story of securities and security regulation is a part of the story of human coordination. Humans coordinate better when we can collectively manage our own human greed when it comes to our financial assets, and and so this is where securities comes from. And so understanding the spirit of securities laws is something that we definitely need to do in order to be informed about how to build crypto. And so Brian, our guest, is bringing a unique perspective about the world of NFTs and securities. And if you think he is a Gary Gensler shill who wants to openly invite the SEC into all of our crypto assets, you would be egregiously missing the important lesson that we are going to talk to today. And so that, Ryan, is my preamble to the rest of this show.
0: And that, by the way, guys, is what made me very excited about this episode, including some uh, white papers that Brian uh, created. I-, I read one of those papers coming into this. Uh, definitely a first principles thinker. So you want to stay tuned for this episode.
1: Bankless Nation, we are here with our guest, Brian Fry. And Brian came on to my, my attention when William Peaster, who writes for the Metaversal newsletter out of Bankless, forwarded me an article in Coindesk uh, that Brian wrote. Uh, and that, co- that article was uh, titled, every, all, all NFTs are, roughly titled, all NFTs are security, and that's great. That's a great thing. And a very thought-provoking uh, article. Uh, triggering, David. Very triggering, triggering. yes. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Brian is also a law professor at the University of Kentucky. Uh, and today we are going to unpack that article, are all NFTs securities? And what does that really mean? And why does Brian think that we should be bullish on the fact that all NFTs are securities? Brian, welcome to the show.
2: Hi, nice to talk to all of you. Glad to be here. Big fan.
1: So Brian, you you opened your Coindesk article with this pretty spicy opener. uh, And I'll, I'll read a quote here. Everyone in the NFT market is terrified that the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, SEC, will decide that NFTs are securities and regulate them. They should get over it. Of course, NFTs are securities. That's what makes them so powerful and promising. Rather than avoid SEC regulation, the NFT industry should embrace this categorization. It's inevitable and desirable, especially once the SEC understands how the NFT markets work. It's likely to regulate it with a light touch. So that spawns, Brian, for me, three questions. First, I want to ask, why do you think NFTs are mostly securities? Second, I want to ask, why should we think that that's good? And third, I want to ask, why do you think... Well, the SEC will only regulate it with a light touch. But let's start with that very first question. What do you mean when you say, of course, NFTs are securities? Why, of course?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think this is a really important uh, ontological question, right? In the sense that when we ask the question, are NFTs securities or is anything uh, security? I actually think that's the wrong framing. And it was something that struck me when I first became interested in the NFT market uh, in, in 2021, right? Like a lot of people, I saw the big people sale. I've been interested in art and art law for a long time. And I was like, wow, something's happening and I want to try to understand what it is. And, and one of the things I noticed immediately when I started engaging in the kind of NFT Web3 ecosystem is that everyone was kind of terrified, of the idea that what they were doing was a security or might be perceived by the SEC as a form of security trading. And a lot of the discourse was sort of around, well, how do we describe what we're doing? How do we characterize what we're doing? How do we structure what we're doing in such a way that it won't be a security and therefore be regulated by the SEC? And I hate to say it, for better or for worse, I'm a former securities lawyer, right? I worked at Sullivan and Cromwell, a uh, Wall Street law firm from 2007 to, to 2010. You know, I worked for Goldman Sachs. I did securities law, you know, related litigation work primarily, <clears throat> but also some IPOs and that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh no, right? Like this entire discourse is so confused. Right. Because the SEC isn't in the business of deciding really whether or not things are in are security are securities in, in the way that I think a lot of the people kind of in the ecosystem think think it is. The SEC is in the business of deciding what it thinks it needs to regulate and what it thinks it doesn't. Right. So we say that there's a, a test for whether or not something is a security, right? The the, the Supreme Court in a very famous case called uh, Howey, right, established the criteria for what would constitute an, an investment contract. It was sort of the broadest definition of uh, of a security under the United States securities laws. But the reality is that the Howey test is so broad that that any investment can be <laughs> a security if you just kind of look at it. Right. Because all the Howey test says is that something is an investment contract. An investment is a security. If it constitutes an investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profit to be devised, derived from the efforts of others. Well, that's that's any investment. Right. (laughs) That's literally any investment whatsoever. Right. So when you ask this question, is it a security? That's the wrong question right the real question is always is it the kind of thing the sec thinks it should be regulating is it the kind of thing that the sec thinks is within its wheelhouse and is therefore the proper subject of 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 federal regulation in the way that at the sec does things right so what i want to try to convey to people really, more than anything else, is like, stop trying to use the law's magic words. The the law's magic words is a crazy way to think about what's taking place, right? You need to think about what your goals are. What do you want? What do you want the SEC to do? What do you want the regulatory environment to look like? What's going to be beneficial, For the ecosystem, what's going to help it thrive as opposed to destroying it? And rather than be hostile to or try to avoid this regulatory atmosphere, how do you explain to the regulator what you're doing and how the regulator can add value to the ecosystem instead of destroying it? Because at the end of the day, that's at least theoretically what the SEC is for, right? The idea is that the purpose of securities regulation is to make the securities market work more efficiently, right? I mean, that's the that's the primary mandate of the SEC is to create and maintain healthy capital markets, right? They're supposed to be making the market better, right? So it seems to me the goal ought to be, how do we explain to the SEC what this market needs, if anything, and what kind of value it can add?
0: Okay, so I, I want to park on this, Brian. This is uh, so interesting Brian's to me. Fired up. and this is fired up. Brian, I, I'm by the way. fired up. I'm ex- <laughs> I'm I'm very excited. Okay, like to have this discussion because I I gotta admit at first, if my first reading of the article, I was a little triggered. Our NFT securities, like this word, is kind of a, a, a dirty word to me. It's my comment to David was like, stop using the word securities. That's their word, and what I meant was like, it's the nation state word, and it means a certain. thing set of things it means you have to file with edgar and you have to do 10k filings and you have to do all of these things with respect to structure and it's more imposition it's about a, a group of regulators unelected bureaucrats telling us all these things we can't do with the technology they don't even
1: understand all right and, and, so and by th- the way ryan if i can quickly go down why yeah. are we talking about this it's because a couple of weeks ago uh, oh yes. i talked to <laughs> I, I said on the bankless weekly roll-up that board apes are securities yes and like ryan got a quizzical look on his face uh, Oh, like,
0: oh, can we bring up the quizzical? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'll try and pull it up once I'm done talking. But uh, it's like, Ryan got a quizzical look on his face, and usually Ryan and I agree on almost everything. And so that was like, it's very rare for me and Ryan to have a disagreement. And then like, we sent out the weekly roll-up onto to, uh, in, to, to uh, send out on the podcast feed on the YouTube, and then the board apes got extremely triggered that like David Hoffman from Bankless is saying board apes are security, and how dare he? And what does that this mean? Is my face, David. <laughs> yeah, this I was, was this up. was Ryan's face. Here, here's Ryan's reaction <laughs> to David. <laughs> been saying borders are security. Well, I didn't quite understand. Right, right because I securities laws saying. are confusing and part uh-huh. of it is exactly what Brian was just saying is like the crypto world's reaction to the word security is that we all the fun gets sucked out of the room. Uh, we have to like we can't trade our assets on Uniswap. We have to go on to a regulated exchange and like all the fun leaves. But Brian here is saying all that, the important stuff. Exactly. Not just yeah. fun, it's mm-hmm. just
2: like
0: it's all the stuff that makes crypto crypto. Right. So that that that's my quizzical
1: face reading mm-hmm. that article
0: and also hearing what, what david said by the way then i then i read your longer kind of take on this the nfts in the cloud economy it totally changed my mind but also um i i want to get to the meat of that because this is the the conversation i have really wanted to have with any crypto lawyer or any sec uh securities lawyer or uh, god anyone any regulator anybody who would have this conversation is i think the howie test sucks Howie test sucks. it sucks it and no one says this everyone is to your point uh, everyone is trying, Brian, to say like, oh, here's how our particular token doesn't, like the Howey test doesn't apply to it. It doesn't, it's only three out of the four prongs and all of this. But like, so here's why it sucks to me. Here's the definition of the Howey test. You said it earlier, I'll repeat. An investment of money in a common enterprise with the expectation of profit to be derived from the efforts of others. I used to do pogs in grade school. Pogs don't pass the Howey test, all right? We, we gambled those things for money. Magic the Gathering cards don't pass the Howey test uh pokemon cards
2: don't okay. pass the howey test but but the important thing to remember is what's missing from the howey test e- explicitly missing is the most important factor the fifth shadow factor as my good friend at UNLV ben edwards described it to me does it look like a security or rather is Fair. it the kind of Thank thing you. is it the kind of thing that the sec wants to regulate and the sec doesn't want to regulate POCs. The SEC doesn't want to regulate Magic: The Gathering cards. Yes, SEC- are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> are you sure about that, Brian? I'm, I'm pretty confident. Although you know, you, you never know. You never know with Gary. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm pretty confident that uh, POG regulation is <laughs> I'm, and 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 I actually I, and I, I I can I can verify that from personal experience. Right. So my entree into the NFT market was a little weird. Right. So at the end of 2019, I published an article. Right. So I've been, I've been thinking about this problem for a long time. Right. I went to art school before I went to law school. Right. Then, as many artists do, I ended up becoming a securities lawyer and Cromwell and representing (laughs) Goldman Sachs. Right. And the entire time I was so confused because the more I learned about securities, the more I kind of thought structurally about the securities law, the more I thought to myself, gee whiz, you know, conceptual art and, and conceptual art in particular sure looks a hell of a lot like a security right after all when you're buying conceptual art what do you end up buying you you, you get a certificate that says you own like like you, a Picasso or a Monet yeah, that's what you mean by you own it you own an edition of a concept right it's, it's almost like you're're you're, you're just buying like a, a bearer bond of some kind, or, or a securities, a stock certificate, right? And it always kind of bothered me. I was always really, confi- I, I was kind of working through the problem and trying to think about how I would put this into kind of legal scholarship language, but it never kind of worked, right? Because artists were always like, why are you talking about securities? And securities, artists, securities lawyers would look and be like, I try to explain conceptual art to them, and they'd be like, Why would anyone buy something like that? That's stupid.
0: (laughs) It doesn't have, yeah, cash (laughs) flow. So
2: there was a kind of disconnect. And I realized that what I needed to do was to activate the project, right? So rather than just write an article about it, I had to make it real, right? So what I did was I created a law review article in the form of a prospectus for the sale of a work conceptual art. And the article was titled SEC No Action letter request. And it proposed to sell a work of conceptual art titled SEC No Action Letter Request, which consisted of sending the SEC a no action letter request proposing to sell a work of conceptual art titled No Action Letter Request. And in an addition of 100 for $10,000 per edition, I would recruit other law professors to market the work conceptual art on my behalf and use proceeds from the sale to promote the future, you know, future sales. Wait, I found this thing. This of, is it, right? Of, of the working question. Exactly. So, so I, I did this as a law review article initially, and I actually <laughs> sent the SEC a no action letter request, which they uh, declined to respond to. Uh, I did ultimately, <laughs> um, a, a friend of mine ultimately managed to send them, get them to respond to a FOIA request. So they did send me a, 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 a pdf of like 40 pages of documents all of which were entirely redacted so i didn't get any actual information but they saw it but they saw it they, they definitely were talking about this but the, the point is i explained to them why what i was doing and so i sent them a no action letter request and in the action letter request i explained to them why the article or rather why the work and conceptual art i was proposing to sell satisfied all the factors this is hilarious death, and therefore they should prohibit me from selling it to to the public um a friend of mine actually described it as the first sec action letter request he he'd ever seen because so i was basically like come at me bro right <laughs> you, you are a troublemaker sir this
1: is so funny this is so funny, <laughs> been, is so funny. trolling them over this. and over
2: again and it was hilarious because uh Matt Levine, <laughs> ended up picking up on it and running two separate discussions about the project in his money stuff column. Um, And Levine's response, as well as the response from several other people, was sort of like, I say everything's a security, but I'm not sure I really mean it. And this has to be wrong, but I don't know why. And essentially they just said, well, it's not really a security because it's a joke and no one would really buy it. And I was like, well, that's a totally
1: unsatisfying Right. That's not a real reason. Right.
2: That, that's not a real reason. You
1: <laughs> don't have to
2: want to buy it for it to be. I, I can be a scammer and a really bad scammer, but I'm still violating the securities laws if I try to sell people something that's a security, even if no one wants to buy it. So I was like, this is this is a, a, a meaningless response, but whatever. Anyway, I, I then kind of set it aside for a little bit. But then when the NFT market blew up, I was like, holy crap. Holy crap. Like this is like now it this, matters economically. Now, now it matters. So what did I do? The first thing I do, well actually, you know, when I started fooling around with the NFT market, the first thing I did was create an NFT titled "SEC No Action Letter Request," uh, and I just put it on OpenSea and kind of left it there. And I, I, I was fooling around, just joking. I didn't really think that much of it. But then uh, a and uh, and an, pretty prominent NFT collector named Sam Hart uh, out of the blue one night made me an offer of half an ETH to, to buy the NFT for me. And I was like, I didn't even know how much an ETH was. Yeah. <laughs> so I looked up and I was like, Holy crap, that's like $500. I was like, man, you can buy all the nothing you want from me. For f- I will sell you more nothing than you could possibly imagine. Right. But that was sort of my transition into kind of thinking about the dynamics and the economics of the NFT market, what I realized was all of a sudden I could take that SEC no action letter request project, which had been kind of not fully realized because I couldn't actually, there wasn't a market for me to sell it in effectively. And I could put it on the NFT market and sell it. And all of a sudden I was like, oh yeah, you said this wasn't a security because no one was interested in buying it. Guess what? I just made $20,000 selling it. (laughs)
1: okay Okay, okay. brian can you just uh for listeners that didn't follow that thought process and don't really understand the the catch-22 that you're placing the sec in can you just like walk us through and explain like i'm five fashion what what you just did with the no action letter nft exactly
2: exactly exactly. so basically the way the sec is a very kind of unique federal agency it's a really old Mm. federal agency right i mean it was formed back in 1934 when federal agencies were actually kind of not that common and most of them were were relatively small mm-hmm. so it has a lot of kind of its own unique history and structure and the reality is that the primary way the SEC works is by having conversations with the people it regulates it's a very kind of um kind of retail agency <laughs> In a weird ways, which in a lot of ways, and, and Matt Levine, I think, really talks about this in a really kind of rich and deep and useful way. It's kind of a problem, I think, for the crypto industry because the, the SEC isn't isn't in the business of and isn't used to making kind of generally applicable rules, right? It doesn't it doesn't do things that way. It responds to specific questions from the people it's regulating, and so one of its primary ways of going about kind of securities law rulemaking is through the process of what's known as no action letter request. So if you want to issue a security, right? Well, one thing you can do is just go through the entire registration process, but that's really burdensome and expensive, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it doesn't cover all securities offerings, right? Some kinds of investments you might offer are the kind of things the SEC has decided it doesn't want to be in the business of regulating, even though it it, it could if it wanted to. It could have but wanted to, but it just doesn't want to. It doesn't want to regulate those kind of things. So what you do is you write up a letter to the SEC explaining what you're proposing to do and saying, "Hey SEC, this is what I'd like. This is the uh, this is the investment opportunity that I'd like to provide. If I do this thing and don't regulate it, are you going to prosecute me? Hmm. Right? And they read it, they think about it, they might have a conversation with you about it, and then ultimately they either say, "Yeah, if you do this without registering," that's going to be a violation of the securities laws and we're going to bring an action against you or they say nope that looks kosher go ahead right go ahead and make that but offer but this is you like know? a black box after yes. you know
0: right. p- months and years of deli- it like it's very, very hard to get yeah. this right
2: well i mean they happen all the time if you go on the sec website they're 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 published they're available right and there's a lot of caveats around it, right? They say, "Oh, well, you know, we're responding only to this particular proposal you're making, and future proposals might not be binding." And- but are they mandated, Brian, to respond to every propo- every kind of request? Well, no. They're
1: okay. Kind of supposed to, <laughs> we got any rules?
2: <laughs> but they no, no, they they don't have to do anything. They don't have to do anything if they want to. In fact, they don't even like in my case. They didn't even have to explain to me why they refused to respond. In fact, the only, the only thing they didn't re- redact in the documents they produced in response to my FOIA request was somebody, some unidentified person from the SEC who I, with reasons, believed to be someone in like their general counsel's office, referring to my um, uh, arguments as fanciful, which <laughs> so so what you did was you basically
0: created this uh request for for a no action from the sec and you wrote this whole entire article on on like why this actually isn't a security and you got
2: them to read it you think no no, uh, and- no i i wrote i wrote an entire article explaining why what i was proposing to do by virtue of some ah. work of conceptual art was in fact the kind of thing The SEC said it was in the business of regulating. And essentially what I told them was, I want to engage in securities fraud by selling this work, a conceptual art, and I want you to tell me I'm not
1: allowed to do it. (laughs) Right, right. So, so Brian was testing the limits of the black box here in a facetious, joking fashion. And so he made this NFT.
2: The entire project was trolling the NFT, Yes.
1: Right. But, but to prove a point. Yes. yes. And and, and, And so then,
2: and so then when I did it with the NFT, so initially it was like a a kind of analog uh uh, conceptual art project. And incidentally, um, I'm still, I, I, I diluted the offering as much as possible. So, um, the, uh, the work of concepts, actually, I I think I initially sold it in an edition of 50, but I ended up selling 200 or selling, giving away 200 editions because I wanted to engage in, I wanted to do as much fraud. I wanted to do as much crime as I, as I possibly. (laughs) <laughs> Possibly good. Um, I still, I think I still have some floating around. There. If anyone wants one, they can just drop me an e, drop me an email or a note or something. And I'll put you are the
0: issuer. Of, yeah, I'm, of the, this, I'm uh, the issuer. I'm security? the Security
2: question mark. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, so, but we... so when I did the when I did the NFT, I sent the SEC a second no action letter request mm. explaining why the NFT project was also the sale of an unregistered security. But I explained to them that I had sent them a previous no action letter request to which they had declined to respond. And I just was gonna, I was gonna take their refusal to respond as acknowledgement that it was fine for me to do what i was doing even though i strongly disagree with them and believed myself to be engaging in securities fraud okay so so that
0: is <laughs> b- by the way uh awesome <laughs> that's awesome that's if that's a that that is the right way to troll uh ladies and gentlemen um <laughs> So we established that the Howey test, it just is a bad fit for this design. And you said the fifth prong of the, the Howey test is actually, does the SEC want to regulate it or not? And that's the hidden thing that I feel like no one ever talks about, but that is the truth of what's going on here, which is interesting. But, but let me still, um, talk about the other, uh, the other part that still sticks in my mind. So then, Brian, why call them securities? Right, so like the title of your article was "Why NFTs uh, Are Securities and That's a Good Thing," that sort of thing. Back to my my you know cr- crypto brain, I'm trying to I'm trying to understand that why are we using their word? Isn't there a better word for this? Isn't it like assets? Sure, that's a word. but like isn't
2: securities? Isn't it Yeah, the, reason, tell I, us the that. reason I like it is that we invented securities because they were a really good tool. For maximizing the value of capital or maximizing people's ability to use capital to productive ends, or rather, maybe you can just think of it as like a way of ensuring that capital flowed more efficiently. Okay, now so that's now, a story I don't think. Securities are an people, innovation. Mm-hmm. Crypto people haven't
0: heard that story, Brian, which is why. I think we just I don't I don't know much about securities law before the birth of the SEC. Mm-hmm. Or or even the concept of securities and why it's important. Can you can you tell that story? Because Like To me, SEC securities, uh, they're one and the same, but there is a deeper purpose for these assets and and this this class of
2: assets. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so securities long predated the SEC. I mean, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned before, right, there was securities regulation on the state level via Blue Sky Laws before the SEC was created in 1934, but securities predated Blue Sky Laws as well, right? Right. Securities were an innovation, a financial innovation innovation that people invented in order to facilitate the investment and distribution of capital, right? I mean securities are just a fancy way of saying how do we figure out how to enable people to invest in something that they believe is going to be more valuable in the future. In other words, how can they use their money in in productive ways? How how can they how can they facilitate an investment and I think the, the the problem is that we always thought too narrow about it right we mm-hmm. we thought about securities only as a way of investing in companies investing in businesses owning owning a piece of the capital flows for example of of a business but i think that our market has developed in a much broader richer and and deeper way where we i think can think about it more more comprehensively right so the, the project I'm working on right now is kind of thinking about what if anything the nft market shows us about the nature of the markets and specifically a particular market in in creativity right so the kind of the, the big picture point is we've had a innovation securities market for a long time we just couldn't see it right the art market has always been. A securities market, right? When you invest in a work of art, what you're really investing in is the belief that a particular artist, that their brand, is going to be more valuable in the future than it is than it is now, right? You, you, you're investing in the, your belief in the future commercial goodwill associated with an artist, or like you're investing in their clout,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? right? You're investing and, in, in the belief that this that this brand is going to have more clout in right. the future than it does now. The problem is we couldn't see it as a securities market because the objects got in the way, right? It was the dirty canvas and the lumpy rock, right, that we thought people were investing money in when they bought something in the art market, but that was always false, right? What they were always really investing in was just a catalog raisin entry. You're saying saying
0: if somebody buys a Picasso, right? Uh, early stages of Picasso's career. They're not, it's not actually about the art. The true value becomes with everything that Picasso paints post that time. You're investing in Picasso. What you're buying
2: buying is a security interest in Picasso's fame, right? The object, right? The, The dirty piece of cloth or the lumpy rock is just a physical token that represents ownership of a ledger entry. On Picasso's and
0: clearly, that does uh, selling a Picasso doesn't have to happen in a SEC-regulated exchange. Uh, yes, Picasso right? does not need to file 10K reports and quarterly earnings reports. Uh, does not have to, you know, show fully audited <clears throat> financials. Clearly, everyone would say, of course, Brian, a Picasso is not a
2: quote-unquote security TM of mm-hmm. the type yep. that the SEC. Because, because fifth factor. The SEC has never Doesn't been in regulating the art market. Why is mm-hmm. that? Because that's not what the SEC was created for. Right. 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 The SEC was created for a purpose, which was to make the financial markets work in a more regular, more predictable, and like less vulnerable to fraud fashion. The SEC was not designed to regulate the art market, right? Which is again why I think it's so important to realize that when we say Is it a security? We're asking the wrong question. The question is, is it the kind of thing that the SEC believes it has the expertise to regulate? But
1: that (laughs) hurts,
0: too, because now we need to
1: get into Gary Gensler's
0: brain. I want to come back to that. But I know David is itching to show a a, a diagram he uh, he put together.
1: Yeah, and this conversation really kind of goes to the heart of what I really want to impress upon the NFT industry. But really, the whole entire industry of people cohort of people who invest in assets you want your asset to have security like properties because that is bullish if you take away the security like properties away from your asset it is not bullish that like there is a fundamental like association with security like properties and being a bullish, investable asset that has growth potential. And so whether I'm investing in Tesla, because I think the Tesla supercar network and sales is going to grow, or I'm investing in my favorite NFT artist, Nate Moeller, it's because I both believe those things are going to grow. and that You're is bullish the, on it. I'm bullish on it. And I'm in bullish on the security-like properties. And so, Ryan, like you, you say, and many of the, the board Apes, when I accidentally triggered the board Ape community... They got triggered by this like capital S securities TM word, but What Brian's saying and what we're talking about is that securities as a concept predated the SEC and I'm saying we need to plant our flag in the ground and take back that word and so I've created this word called sparkly securities or (laughs) securities that have a cute cat associated with them and so I was working this morning on this uh, graphic that we are showing on screen which shows some various spectrums that I think are all more or less the same spectrum and so working from top to bottom you see on the left side, the CFTC logo. And on the right side, you see the SEC lo- logo. The CFTC is responsible for regulating commodities. The SEC is uh, responsible for re- regulating securities TM, or what Brian is saying, securities that the, it thinks that it should have jurisdiction over. And then in the middle, we have... Securities, which are like cute cat JPEGs and Bored Apes and CryptoPunks and Pokemon cards. And I also want to keep on... And I'm claiming that these are actually on the same spectrum. Commodities on the very far left and securities on the very far right. And then I also want to... They're on ten- the
0: spectrum of assets that you want to invest in because you're bullish
1: on them. Yes, exactly. Right. And not, not to say that being uh commodity is not as bullish, but I'm what I will say is that being having a higher threshold for bullishness probably means you have security-like properties. Now there's this very important aspect which we haven't talked about yet, which is called material non-public information. And this is a, a spectrum that I will put on the decentralization to centralization spectrum. And so like things like gold coffee, wheat, Bitcoin are very, very, very commodity-like. Or perhaps 100% commodities. There is zero material non-public information about these things, as in there are zero privileged parties. There are zero coordinated centralized entities that know something about gold that the generalized public does not know because everyone knows everything about gold and Bitcoin and coffee. Now, that is not true for highly regulated securities TM, things like Tesla, Amazon, Apple, registered compliant securities. There are a centralized coordinated TM Team that does have material non-public information that the public does not know. And that is what makes the SEC say, hey, perhaps we should regulate that. And this is the same spectrum as the decentralization to centralization spectrum, where on the left side, on the commodity side, I have assets produced by nature. And on the right side, the centralized side, I have assets produced by humans. If a human produces an asset, Likely, it's probably starting off as a security, whether it's a sparkly security or a heavily compliant securities TM security. We'll have to go with facts and circumstances, but I think this is the spectrum that I really want to drive the point home when I say board Apes are securities or all DeFi tokens are securities or apps are securities. I mean... They're sparkly securities, as in and, – and this is also where the role of DAOs come in, where decentralized autonomous infor, uh, organizations take what would have otherwise have been material non-public information – and then they make them public and all of a sudden that moves maker token unitoken ave token away from the securities tm end of the spectrum closer to the middle to left well, because side
0: because they have on-chain cash flows on-chain cash right? flows they, so there like is, is no an audited right? report from mm-hmm. you know, one of the big four accounting firms when all of the cash flows are on chain right it's already it's already there for you so mm-hmm. it's already material public materially mm-hmm. public
1: Exactly, exactly. And so, Brian, I want to pause and just kind of get your take on this graphic that we have on screen and my my rant for the last five minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to that, right? I mean, I think it's, you know, it's a complicated um, ecosystem with a lot of moving parts. So I think this is one useful way or potentially useful way of thinking about how to kind of schematize it. I might also distinguish between like consumption goods and mm. and investment goods in a way. I might also observe that in a lot of ways, part of the struggle that the SEC, I think, is is really wrestling with is understanding what its real purpose and mission is in a world where most of the securities disclosures that they require are irrelevant to the overwhelming majority of investors. I mean, in a lot of ways, right, the existence of something like the fraud on the market concept is actually, I think, deeply corrosive to the mission of the SEC, because it implies that most investors, all investors, really all retail investors, aren't really paying attention to these disclosures anyway. They're just relying on on market prices, and in reality, I think that the overwhelming majority of retail investment is driven by perception of brand equity rather than anything that has anything to do with the fundamentals oh. of particular companies. Right? People are investing in Tesla because they believe that. Well, maybe they don't now, but I mean, people believe that believed that Tesla or Apple or Google or whatever was going to be cooler in the future than it was today. They weren't looking at the balance sheets, right? They weren't looking at the prospectus. They were thinking about the brand. They were thinking about brand equity and where it was going to go in in the future. And my sense is that in reality, the the, the people who are really investing on the basis of kind of information about the sort of the actual financials of different companies they aren't doing it in the public markets they're doing it they're doing it privately right private equity is where the real the real gains are when it comes to to investment right so i, I for me in a lot of ways it's almost like a kind of crisis of purpose for the SEC, like what are they? What are they there for? What value is SEC regulation adding, other than kind of keeping out players who insiders don't right. don't like anymore? But for me, they're they're really the important thing to realize, and I and I and I really like you know your kind of sparkly securities analogy. In a lot of ways, because what I think this ought to drive home to people is to realize that the reason that we invented securities in the first place was in order to give businesses, companies access to capital markets, right? The ability to, in effect, get money that they could use in order to run their business and generate more money. But historically, authors, artists anyone you know individuals didn't have that same kind of access to the capital markets because there wasn't a tool you could use to shell, to sell shares in in your enterprise as it were now the art market was a very limited version of that but the art market is largely controlled by insiders right i mean there's a word for people who invest money in the art market without being an insider that word is sucker right because the only people who ever are going to make money in the conventional art market are the people who are running the market itself the exciting thing about the nft market and decentralization is that it took control away from the insiders and gave it to the kind of general public or anyone who was participating in the market. In other words, what became valuable and popular depended on what NFT investors in the aggregate actually liked, as opposed to what in market insiders were deciding was, was going to be possible, po- uh, was going to be, uh, was going to be uh, popular. And, and And I think that like that for me is what's really cool, right? Is the idea that all of a sudden, individuals, authors, creators, innovators could have access to the capital markets in this new and totally previously uh, un, 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 kind of unavailable way.
0: Well, okay, that excites me too. And by the way, that was in your, 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 your paper that I hope we come back to after copyright, uh, pwning NFTs in the cloud economy, which is absolutely marvelous. He came sure. out with that a year ago and I just finally saw it this morning. But um, here's a question I have for both of you with respect to sparkly yeah. securities. We live in a meme world where words matter and we have narrative battles all the time. Why are you guys trying to fight the fight of securities? This word, okay? Like, call them capital assets. Uh, another word for the sparkly securities is collectibles. Like, I understand the point that, that you're making. In fact, I didn't earlier. That was the quizzical face that we saw earlier in the show. I didn't. Now I understand what you mean by this, sparkly securities. Um, but is this the fight we want to have? Do we want to start claiming nfts and crypto assets as securities because the minute you do i'm just picturing gary gensler popping his head oh did you call me
1: because here i am <laughs> it's a security did you say, I'm telling... say security three times yeah mm-hmm. yeah
0: yes. exactly like imagine or, or take this imagine somebody sound clips this conversation that we're having mm-hmm. david hoffman nfts are securities david hoffman clip plays it in front of uh you know a meeting in congress or something like this do you know what i mean like right this is a hard narrative battle, guys. Yeah. Like, I get the I get the underlying point, but do we want to use this word or is there a better word out there? And then this is
1: exactly why I wanted, wanted to do this episode and this show and go down, Ryan, the securities rabbit hole. And this is why I've been, like, reading books about the 1929 stock market crash, which is where we got the SEC in the first place. Because understanding this battle, I think, is crucial for the crypto industry to move forward in... To move forward at all. Uh, and so there I'll, I'll make the claim that if we we, like I said at the intro of the show, uh, we often say on Bankless that we are speed running the history of money and finance. And sometimes we extend that to the speed running the history of human coordination. Insecurities, insecurities laws are a part of that story of human coordination. If you re-roll the dice of humanity, we will come up with securities law 100% of the time, somehow, some way. And so there's this resistance to the SEC in the crypto world, perhaps rightfully so, because the Gary Genslers of the world have not done us a service at all. But there's, there's, there's two strategies that I see here, Ryan, where we fight the SEC in the courts. And we move that line of what is a sparkly security to a security TM closer and closer away to equities on the traditional stock market and further and further away from our uh, NFTs and our sparkly securities. And we, that is a trench warfare, very costly lawyer versus lawyer fight. And, but, and we just do our best to push that line. The strategy that Brian is doing with his, uh, his no action NFT is the opposite, where they say, Okay, Gary, everything's an, a, 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 a security. It's like a jiu move. Exactly. Right? It's like, okay, come regulate my Pokemon cards, Gary. Do you really <laughs> want to do that? And so it's a little bit like, sure? yeah, Gary, everything's a, everything's a security. Now go fuck off. Right? Yeah. And so... Oh, by yeah. the way, Gary, come on the podcast. We'll also come on the podcast. <laughs> so yeah. And so, okay, like, okay. what do we that's want the... to do? And this is what yeah. I, why I wanted to make this show, Ryan, because that is the question that only the entire crypto industry can answer as a collective. But first, we actually need to be educated about securities in the first place.
0: Okay, I get it. I get it. So you, the play here is rather than saying, no, Gar- no SEC, these things, these crypto assets aren't securities, you guys are saying, hey, the definition that you're using, the Howey test, everything's a freaking security. Right. Right. And are you sure you want this? Right. My question to you, though, is what if Gary, sorry, Gary, what if the SEC looks back at you, you know, eyes unblinking and says, yeah, that's what we want. We do want that thing. And you know why I didn't care about pogs if I'm the SEC or Magic the Gathering cards? It's because it's a tiny freaking market. It's a bunch of kids playing. This is not a tiny market. We're talking about billions of dollars in assets that now fall outside of my purview I'm you, you, your comment from earlier, and uh, in your post, Brian was like, uh, "You know, is this a thing? The fifth prong? Is this a thing that the, the SEC wants to to regulate? They want to regulate big things, big markets. They don't care necessarily about small markets and pogs yeah. and little collectibles. But if it's billions of dollars and it's international, yeah, they're going to want a piece of that. And so my I my, think, my my I my think retort, that's right. But the thing
2: ahead. is, the thing is, you can't scare off the SEC, mm. right? You got to start the conversation with them. You got to help them understand what's going on and understand what they can and should be doing that's going to be productive instead of destructive. And I, I think the only way to start that conversation is to kind of provoke them into understanding (laughs) the nature of what they're (laughs) looking at. Because the problem is- I volunteer. (laughs) the, The SEC is a really old agency that's really used to doing things in its own way and is really used to interacting only with its client companies, right? The SEC is used to dealing with Goldman Sachs and with JP Morgan and with Chase Manhattan and whatever. It's not used to dealing with DeFi people and artists and crypto enthusiasts. It doesn't know what to do with them and it doesn't understand what they're doing or why they're doing it. And so I think that, you know, you have to, I mean, I agree, right? When the SEC sees a big market, And people engaging in high value transactions, when it sees something like, you know, FTX collapsing, right? It says to itself, oh, crap, we got to do something about this, right? Uh, We don't really understand it, but it's got to be in our wheelhouse because this is the kind of thing that looks like what we do. And
0: also let's remember the people ask them, like right. legislators where were you? Sleep at the wheel. Like right. this is when Hester Peirce came on, the, on our podcast, mm-hmm. who I think is a good faith regulator, uh, yeah. you know, commissioner of the SEC as well, is she was just like, yeah, the problem is when things go wrong, they point to us to come take care of it. Right. And so they're mad at us if NFT market goes up a bubble, a whole bunch of retail is hurt. And then they people come back to the SEC and why were not you there?
2: Yeah, no, 100%. 100%. And this, you know, and honestly, I'm, I mean, I, I don't know that I necessarily went about it in the best or most productive way necessarily, although I did find it very personally amusing. Right? <laughs> right. But I mean, my whole point was to try to say to them hey, you should be getting out ahead of this. Yeah. Right. You should be thinking about what you're in the business of doing. As a regulator, you should be thinking harder about what you can do well. How you can use the regulatory powers you have in a way that's going to benefit the market and actually fulfill your regulatory mandate instead of just bullshitting all the time. And, like, that's what I'm really disappointed about, right? Like, look, I'm not for or against regulation, I'm agnostic, right? I think good regulation is something that we should be happy about, right? I mean, the, the whole idea behind the SEC was to make the markets work better right? And on some level, at least sometimes, the government can do that, right? I mean, it's in a position to create rules that ultimately can solve market failures and make things work more efficiently. But the regulators have to take their job seriously. They have to think about what they're doing. They have to understand the market they're regulating. And, and what also, Brian, they need to they actually care. Up.
1: Because from our perspective, Gary Gensler is a Gary Gensler maximalist who wants to promote Gary Gensler to the top of the power hierarchy. So if we're going to ask this of our regulators, we need them to actually care about their jobs, which maybe is a hard thing to ask.
2: I I couldn't agree more. But I mean, like, look, this this is the disappointment for me. Like, look, I am like... I, I, on some level i'm a troll but on another level like look i'm a law pro- i'm a fully promoted law professor <laughs> at a state law school <gasps> right who's sending them law review articles explaining things to them and they just are like blowing me off and pretending like i don't exist i think that's really weird and kind of unfortunate and i think it's sort of a shame that they don't take their job seriously enough to ask like what is this person telling us and what are we missing what, why don't we call these things collectibles?
0: Is that not encompassing enough? Yeah, and the only reason I say that is that there's no, there's no Keck. There's no collectibles exchange uh, commission, right? Mm-hmm. And so
2: that's uncharted territory. And so maybe we cut like, I mean, I, I think, I think there's a mix, right? And I, I think some, some NFT projects ultimately really are fundamentally collectibles, on some level, I think you might also kind of think about the market for for Veblen goods, like like luxury goods, as sort of like sitting in between the the two sort of poles as well. But it seems to me, right, that the really kind of promising, exciting aspect of the NFT one, like I think NFTs ultimately can be used for a lot of different things. I'm describing one market that I see as being like promising and having a lot of potential. And what I see the potential as being is is giving creators access to capital markets to enable people to invest in their project in the hope of making a profit. In other words, enabling speculation in their project. Because the reality is most creators are risk averse and lacking in capital, right? So historically, historically, creators have had to sell in effect, sell shares in their product at a huge discount to the mm. value because they had to sell to a publisher, right? And there's only a few publishers, the publishers all the capital and the publishers can, can buy it for next to nothing. Publishers bank. They're, yeah. Well, unless they're but they like, but like, think about it, right? You're an author, you go to a publisher, they don't know in advance what's going to be popular. And honestly, they don't really care right? It doesn't matter to them whether or not you're successful. All they care about is that they publish a bunch of stuff. Some of it ends up being popular and they make money by selling whatever it turns out people
0: yeah you're saying the, the reason collectibles isn't a fit is because it's it's disingenuous it's not actually true it's some of these things aren't collectibles they truly are like investments in okay. they 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 do the four prongs of the Howie test just not the fifth and exactly. that is it that is the truth of the matter and so yeah. you're no, kind of like, like, stop like yeah let's call it what it, it is
2: that that's exactly right so like and, and i think the art market is a great example of that right because again people think of the art market as a market for objects but it's not Right mm-hmm. the object itself is not valuable. The only thing that's valuable in the art market as an investment market in art is the attribution right because in the absence of the attribution the the art object, the physical token is worthless right as soon as that relationship to the artist is severed as soon as you don't have the brand connection, the object is, is just a consumption it's, good. Not authentic. it's it's just decoration it's not it's not an investment good anymore. So what you what you're buying is a share in the artist's career. That's what you've always been buying. And that's, what's so cool about it. It's just, right. we couldn't see it because the object got in the way. Mm-hmm. The cool thing about the NFT market is it got rid of the physical token And all of a sudden we could see how the market actually worked. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Yeah. And some people are like, I'll right click, save that. And the NFT owners are like, please do.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The more you talk about me, the more you pump my project, Mm -hmm. the happier I am. Nothing could be better than you reproducing the work. And like for me, again, as a copyright scholar, this is really exciting, right? Mm. Because the, the problem is we've sort of, we've internalized this artificial scarcity, right? But we got to remember, copyright was always just a tool for innovation policy. And the reason we invented copyright was to enable publishers to invest in the production and distribution of works of authorship, copies of works of authorship, with some degree of financial certainty, right? In other words, it, it reduced the risk for publishers. It was never about authors, right? It was always about publishers producing copies. Well, copyright was a pretty decent Solution, a, a pretty decent way of reducing transactions costs when publication and distribution were expensive. But guess what? Publication and distribution, the marginal cost is zero. Now we get everything exactly. digitally, the, the marginal cost is nothing. We don't need it anymore.
1: Right? Friend, like, this is a, this is getting into your article, which I definitely want to w- want to get into. Uh, and I think that'll be the theme for the second half of the show. We've gone a, a little bit over, but just to tease what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show is exactly what you're getting into. And there's something very deep that both Ryan and I really, really resonated with your article. And it was something very uh, close to the metal of what crypto is here to do, which is replace uh ad hoc kind of patchwork laws that are doing something but not really fulfilling their intended uh, uh, service and then replacing them with a market. Uh, so I think that is going to be what we talk about in the second half of the show. But first we have to talk about some of these fantastic bankless tools from our sponsors. And Bankless Nation, we are back to conclude this conversation of securities. Who knew securities were so much fun? Uh, but actually, <laughs> we want to turn... It's just sparkly. They're so sparkly. Uh, but we want to turn the conversation actually to copyright law, which is similar but different. Uh, and uh, uh, Ryan, I passed you Brian's article about copyright law this morning. And you, like me, thought it was a, one of the more fantastic pieces of literature we've ever read in the crypto space. It was. And so, Brian, I'm, I'm wondering if you can kind of summarize the nature of your article. We need to start with a primer about... Like, what is copyright law? Why is it? Why is the format of copyright law incomplete or could be better? Like, why is it broken? And then, how do you think uh, NFTs might actually fix this? Could you kind of just like summarize your article for us?
2: For sure, for sure. So, I, I think the big picture point to take away about copyright law is that copyright law was always a policy tool designed to solve certain kinds of market failures, right? So, we created copyright. Because publishers needed to be able to invest with some kind of security or or expectations about the future in the production and distribution of works, copies of works of authorship, because it was expensive, right? Printing copies was expensive. Distributing copies was expensive. Knowing how many sales you'd have involved a lot of uncertainty. Copyright was a way of minimizing competition, in the production and distribution of works of authorship, in a way that made it more uh, economically feasible for producers, for for publishers, to, to do that, and 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 we use that tool because we value the production and distribution of where We, we like to consume. Consumers mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. works of authorship. We we enjoy consuming them. And in the absence of copyright, mm-hmm. our our presumption was we would get less of that than we expected. And what we're doing here, Brian, is this mm-hmm. is um a
0: nation state enforced uh, tool that we're doing in order to incent that outcome of authors producing more work. And of course,
2: course copyright didn't exist until the printing press
0: did. Didn't exist before the printing press. Okay. So new technology brought on the the need for copyright, which was, uh, you know, ultimately enshrined in kind of nation state tools, which is the law um, as a way. As,
2: As the cost of reproducing works of authorship decreased, it became a viable business model. And copyright was developed actually privately, right? I mean, copyright was created by the stationer's company in London. Initially, it was industry self-regulation, right? It wasn't enshrined into law until hundreds of years after the the stationer's company. In, in effect, the guild kind of quasi-private, uh, quasi-governmental agency created it in the first place, It's members effectively agreeing that that form of competition regulation would facilitate their ability to engage in their business practices. My point in the paper is that, look, copyright was a policy tool that fit the technology of the day Mm. and fit a lot of the technology, for better or for worse, for hundreds of years afterwards, right? But when the technology changed, it stopped being a valuable policy tool. Because copyright was designed for a world in which publication and distribution costs were high, but publication and distribution costs are now zero. The marginal cost of reproducing or distributing a work of authorship is nothing, right? We live in a digital world where we have abundance and we don't need that kind of artificial limitation on the distribution of copies anymore. What's scarce is clout, Hmm. right? And so what we need to be thinking about is how do we manage the market in cloud, Because that's where we're really leaving the money on the table, right? So like, I think one kind of really easy and approachable angle is to think about it this way, right? So everyone's heard of the Kardashians, right? But the Kardashians, as the Kardashian, Kim Kardashian, couldn't exist as a business proposition without social media. Right. She needed social media in order to create her brand and sell the brand in the various ways that that she was able to sell. It. The problem is problem. I mean, Kim Kardashian is doing just fine. But you know what? Kim Kardashian is only internalizing a tiny fraction of the social value that she's generating. Right. Think about how many people are talking about Kim Kardashian right now. Right, she's generating massive, massive social value, but so much of it is just left on the table. Right, she can't internalize it. She has no way of monetizing it. She has to do it by proxy. Right, by doing endorsements, by selling products, by you know whatever advertisements. Y- y- you name it. Right, what's exciting to me, right, or potentially really exciting to me about the NFT marketplace is that it, it enables people with clout. To sell the clout directly, right? To sell the social value to speculators who want to invest in their future social value. And it gives them a huge market that didn't exist before, right? But think about it in a copyright market, when an author was selling works to publishers, there's only a limited number of publishers. The publishers don't want to buy that much stuff. The publishers don't necessarily like competing with each other that much. Authors are in a bad place, right? They don't have any market power right but in an nft marketplace right where you're selling to a broad investment a, a huge number of speculators all of whom are competing for the ability to invest in in your project all of a sudden the market power can shift right if you've so- got the clout you can sell a lot more and make a lot you can claim a much bigger percentage of the potential future value of whatever it is so this is back
0: to first principles which is why i really love the way you think is basically copyright was put together for a purpose which was a public policy purpose to incent the production of art and artist material and you know uh written form in 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 uh all sorts of different forms right it's meant to
1: incentivize human culture
0: yes and human is a human uh public good human coordination mechanism in order to do that Mm -hmm. you make the proposition that because of nfts And this kind of ownership economy, you call it, kind of this clout economy, we may not even need copyright any longer because this is the scarce thing in its purest form in an internet native world. By the way, Bankless listeners will know we've already compared the birth of the internet to basically uh, Gutenberg's printing press. It is that transformational of the It's just happened within our lifetimes, within the last 30 years. So it's that big. I guess our laws are going to have to change. Uh, obviously, they will have to change. Obviously, we'll have to coordinate differently. And what you're saying is, you'd go as far as to say is basically this is um this is a, another business model for artists to solve that coordination problem, to solve that tra- tragedy of the commons. What if we lived in a world where no artist was incented in order to to create their art? Wouldn't that be well, a
2: But what I think is especially crazy about it is that it's a business model that's been around for hundreds of years, right? It's just the art market, right, ah, but applied right. to everything, right? Right. Right. right? It's just the art market, but applied to everything. And NFTs, what I think it's like, so like one thing I noticed when I first started getting really interested in the NFT web street space is people constantly would say to me, Oh, but it's no different. Like you could do that without NFTs. You don't need it. I'm like, yeah, that's true. You can do a lot of things with a spreadsheet, right? The point is the NFT marketplace, right? The NFT technology Reduce the transactions costs just enough Mm -hmm. that all of a sudden that
1: latent demand exploded right and so what what i'm really seeing here brian is and what and what you've like woken me up to is that we have two different technologies here we have uh the proliferation of human culture technology and and you're making the point that as soon as we got to the internet uh the pro the cost of proliferating arts dropped to zero which is bullish, but then we needed some ad hoc kind of copyright law to really allow that to be expressed. And so we created that. But now what I'm seeing here is not, now we have this printing press technology which is the internet but now we also have the printing press of assets which is ethereum nfts tokens and these two technologies really really resonate and like they vibe with each other really really well to the point where we can totally circumvent the whole like laws aspect of this and still get the original purpose done which is to incentivize the creation of human art and culture because we have an equally uh, proliferatable medium of value capture, which are NFTs. That's
2: right. That's right. If you just think about the premise of copyright, the reason it's such a bad fit for our new technology becomes obvious because the premise of copyright is artificial scarcity. Hmm. But we don't need artificial scarcity in the world of perfect abundance.
1: Hmm.
2: Right. Works of authorship are natural public goods. They aren't diminished by consumption, you don't use them up. As many people can consume them as can get a copy. All copyright is doing is imposing artificial costs on consumption. And the only justification, kind of policy justification that still exists for copyright is to encourage the production of the works in the first place. But copyright's always been a terrible way of encouraging the production of works. And it never really benefited artists. All that much because the overwhelming majority of artists get no benefit from copyright whatsoever because no one's interested in consuming what they produce, right? The only people who benefit from copyright are successful artists, right? Mm-hmm. And you only get successful down the line when you're selling a lot, when you're selling a lot of stuff. The the, the cool kind of concept for me is, is this idea that we can encourage people to consume as much as possible, right? And that's good for artists because the more people consume your work, the more your clout will grow, the more your fame will grow. And that clout, that's where the real value is. So this is not
0: limited copies. This requires people to um, flip the model in their heads too, right? So like, so, okay. So uh, in order for this to to come to pass to artists, will have to take it upon themselves because I think artists mostly think in a copyright world still, the, the yeah. older school. And th- this might come about, it, this might take a generation to to fully come about where you get a new generator of artists and the old generation kind of dies out. But like the model is flipped rather than like it's, um, don't download my song, um, you know, without paying me a royalty. The model is flipped to download all my songs because yeah. I have an NFT and the more popular this thing right. becomes. But, the- but you know
2: what? But you know what? Some artists get it. Right, So I have, I, a friend, I have a friend in England. He's a musician, goes by the name Simon Indelicate. He's been an indie rock musician for a long time, um, but always kind of you know struggling as any indie rock musician would to like make money selling copies of his works. When I got interested in NFTs, I proposed to him that we kind of rethink the model. Right. So he created a, he wrote an album called Arcadia Park, which was a soundtrack for an imaginary theme park. Mm -hmm. And what he did was sell an NFT collection that were perpetual admission tickets to Arcadia Park. And he sold them for, I think, like 0.1 ETH or something like that, like 50 tickets, something like that. And his proposition was as soon as I sell all 50 of these tickets, I'm going to put the album in the public domain. Because that's as much money as I need to make in order to make that project like viable for me as a creator. He sold the NFT collection in less than 15 minutes, and he put the work in the public domain. And so now anyone can use it in any way they want to, and it's not controlled, artificially limited by copyright at all. And and I think that that's really the kind of future that I want to see for creative production, because he made more money in 15 minutes with that album than he'd made in years and years and years Mm -hmm. on all of his previous albums combined.
1: And Brian, the reason why this like really resonates with, with me and I'm I'm sure Ryan too, is like, we're kind of public goods maxis. That's really what I see cryptos here to do is to help scale public goods. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and this is why I think this episode and this conversation is really, really resonating with uh, me. And I'm sure a bunch of the bankless nation is that, this is now a conversation is we've figured out a technology to increase the supply of public domain culture, knowledge, mm-hmm. and knowledge is a public good. Culture is a public good. It benefits all of us. And we've found a way to resonate to and to scale that out if we just can find a way for the nation state to understand this and to make their laws catch up to where we are with technology. Yeah. It's also, David,
0: it's just, so we solve the public goods problem in a better way. So we get more public goods, Mm -hmm. right? We get more artists benefiting. We get more culture. We get more art. We get more of these things. It's also, now that you look at it like this, it is a native technology for the internet, isn't it? Like the internet was missing this. Mm -hmm. Like So so go think of all the uh, DMCA takedowns of things right copyright infringement right. on youtube boom it's gone or like do you remember the the earlier days of like you know napster and all these file sharings of, of you know selling uh, uh yeah or not selling but downloading mp3s right. and all of kind of the t- like no information wants to be free on information the internet, wants to it? be free so why don't we just go with the gravity of the internet free all of the information and charge for the clout charge for the authenticity What is that cloud charge that's in the form of a token called an nft and that's the model for the internet, for artists, for art. That solves our
1: our, our coordination problem in a much more seamless internet na- native way. And which is what Brian is saying is actually resonant with what the investable case for these things are in the first place.
2: And I think the secret sauce for me is speculation. Yeah, 100%. Speculation, speculation is, is really, really important. People want to be able to speculate on what's going to be valuable in- in the future. And I, I think that introducing speculation to the creative economy, introducing speculation to the creative economy from the perspective of the consumer is actually, I think, an incredibly like monumental shift.
1: Like you, you can right.
2: speculate in the future fame of whatever you think is cool. Can can I just
0: read a quote because so We'll have to have you back on, Brian, because there's a whole nother conversation. People will doubt what you just said, which is the, they'll be like, but no, Brian, speculation is bad. We've seen people get hurt with all sorts of things. So that's a separate conversation. Let's we'll park that for now. I want to connect this copyright conversation to the securities conversation we were having earlier. And there was a quote from your, um, uh, your article. By the way, we'll share all of these links in the show notes, guys, so you have these. Um, but uh, you said this. The NFT market is really a securities market with authors as the companies and works as particular categories of shares. I'm gonna read that again because I think it's really interesting. The NFT market is really a securities market with authors as the companies and works as as particular categories of shares. That is the connection point here between uh you know securities, sparkly securities, as we talked about uh and nfts and that by the way guys is the justification for why brian can write an article that says nfts are securities and that's a good thing okay so you mean sparkly securities? Oh, that's the thing i didn't get and you probably won't get until you read some of these things that we've been talking about or listen to this episode in more detail um and that's what this is really all about and you probably heard Dave and i get so excited about this and like talking over each other and that sort of thing is because guys this is look we're starting 2023 it's like why are we here Mm-hmm. Crypto, why are we here? We forgot why we were here last year, didn't we? Uh, we're on all these wild goose chases. Uh, why we're here is to solve public goods problems, to solve human coordination problems without necessarily using the non-internet native tools of the nation state. Mm-hmm. Right? These are opt-in tools. Uh, and so that's what the crypto technology is. It's a, it's a freedom technology helping us uh, coordinate better. And after all, isn't that what humans are here to do? Coordinate better. Isn't that what civilization is? It's better coordinate. This is a technology level up for all of us on the social layer at a level that is so profound. And I think in, in the heat of 2022 and looking at SBF and, and uh, three hours capital, all these things, people lose sight of that. Because they're so distracted by the scammers and shenanigans going on, and they lose sight of why we're here. But this exactly is pinpoint why we're here, Brian. That's why we're so excited to to have you on and actually talk about securities. <laughs> uh, you know, not TM, but sparkly securities.
2: Yeah. No, this is great. I really, enjoy, I really enjoyed it. I'd be delighted to come back anytime. And I got a bunch of NFT and Web three related papers as well as copyrights. What's stuff. your next? What's your next prank, though? You doing a <laughs> prank on somebody? <laughs> the next prank uh, i don't wanna, I love your trolls it's great uh, i don't i don't want to spoil it but uh, <laughs> okay I, I do have a i i i i'm a big proponent of plagiarism so uh, <laughs> i have i have another pla- i have a plagiarism tea paper coming out soon. amazing
0: that's awesome. We need more uh, troublemakers in the, in the crypto industry of uh, the good kind the, that, the good that Brian is, yes. not the SBF yeah. kind. Those uh-huh. are the bad troublemakers yeah. we want. Not, to yeah.
2: Not, not only am I a plagiarist, but I'm also a plagiarism apologist. So <laughs> uh, I, I created, with the help of some people at Creative Commons, a, a plagiarism tool. So all of my, uh, all the articles I write are available for anyone to appropriate as their own if they want to be the author of them.
0: All right. Well, let me ask you this because you're a law professor, right, Brian? So if I was in your class, is, pl- is plagiarism uh, legal for me? Can I turn in a paper that's plagiarized? I, I encourage my students
2: to play. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, alright.
1: I, I need to hear more about this. This is cool. <laughs> anyway, we should probably close it here, David. Uh, yeah. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. This is exactly the, the show I wanted to, to produce. And so thank you for writing your article and thank you for coming on and talking about this. I think, I hope a lot of uh, the Bankless Nation can uh, walk away from this with a, a newfound appreciation for sparkly securities uh, and also where that line is between uh securities TM and, and SEC nation-state regulated security. So, Brian, thank you coming for coming on and helping us tell that story. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a great pleasure. Gotta end it here, guys. Uh of course, David is very sorry to all the board ape
0: uh yacht club S-A-M. members. But he ho- hopefully he clarified in this episode what he actually meant. Uh we'll mm-hmm. include some links in the show notes, including an action item. Read the article after copyright poning NFTs in the, the cloud economy that Brian wrote. Um, I'm a little rusty here, but let me see if I can get out the risks and disclaimers, David. Mm. ETH is risky. All of crypto is risky. So is DeFi. You could definitely lose what you put in. But we're headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're
2: glad you're with us in 2023.